the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Now, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We're going to be uh, joined uh, by Ashley Smith. She is the uh, uh, wife of an officer uh, from Montgomery, uh, Alabama. And uh, he's been cooling his his heels in jail, basically. And, uh, you know, she wants to talk about the difference in laws in this country. Hunter Biden's still walking around uh, a free man, got a plea deal uh, for cheating on his taxes and, and doing uh, crack cocaine and all the rest of the stuff. Uh, Ashley, talk about what happened to your husband. Okay, so he was involved in um, an officer-involved shooting back in 2016 when the political environment started taking the shift um, against law enforcement and um, as a result of that shooting where he was defending himself against someone who had um, a potentially incapacitating weapon using against, like, against him. He had tried on non-lethal force, escalating as he was trained. And when it got to the point where the guy had armed himself with something that could potentially harm or kill him, he had to draw his duty weapon and shoot. The guy died. He was subsequently, within a matter of a few days, um, charged with murder two years later. We went to trial. He was convicted of manslaughter and sentenced to 14 years in prison. Okay, so they found him guilty of manslaughter. Uh, he had stopped this man because he felt that he was, what, acting acting in a way that was, uh, you know, criminal or what? He fit the description of um, they, there were some rampant property crimes going on in this neighborhood specifically. They had moved him from his assigned district to find out, to try to stop, because he was a proactive officer. He'd been on the force for several years. He had a reputation for being proactive and cleaning up areas that were high crime. They stuck him in this high crime area, said, hey, stop everything that moves. This is a description of someone who's been doing a lot of property crimes. We've had vehicles broken into, homes broken into. This has got to stop. As he was patrolling, it was 2 in the morning. Um, this man walking down the street in dark clothing um, fit the description that he was given by the Wait, wait, let me say, without clothing on? Dark clothing. Oh, oh dark clothing. No, okay. Dark clothing, yes. Okay. And so um, this man fit the description he was given of the person that they believed to be um, committing these property crimes. And so he stopped him to talk with him. The man was sticking his hands in his front hoodie pocket and acting kind of shifty. And so... For his safety as trained, he did a frisk to make sure there were no weapons during the frisk. The guy, I guess, got spooked. Cody felt something hard in his waistband and radioed for backup. At the same time, he radioed for backup. The guy shoved him and ran. The second the guy shoved him, that was kind of game over from that point. You don't you don't shove an officer, for one. And then, two, um, at that point, he didn't know what was in his waistband and if 
he was in harm's way or if the, anyone in the community was in harm's way, if he had committed a crime, he didn't have enough time to figure any of that out before the guy shoved him and ran. Okay, so, so he pursued. So from what I understand, he deployed his taser three times on this gentleman. Four times. Four times. Okay, four times, mm-hmm. and it did not stop him, correct? That's right. Okay, so he kept running, and then he caught up with him, and then the real fight began. Is that correct? That's right. So after the taser was ineffective, he used his baton in the large muscle groups of um, his his body as he was trained to, um, upper arm, you know, leg, hamstring, you know, stuff like that to try to get him to stop. Right. Um, that, that, that was ineffective. So when he got on the porch, um, they were on a front porch. It was dark. Um, the perpetrator grabbed a steel-enforced painter's pole. Um, at the time, Cody didn't know what it was. He just knew it was a large clanking metal pole sound. It was dark. And so at that point, he had tried all non-lethal force to stop the subject. He had grabbed the subject, had grabbed, grabbed a weapon that could incapacitate him. So he drew his duty weapon. Okay, so did this did the did the subject ever draw a firearm? No, he did not have a firearm. Okay, so he didn't. What was it that he felt in his in the waist of his pants? Do they know? Drug paraphernalia. Ah, okay, Paul. So I guess so. I guess I'm I'm curious about what was the justification for charging your husband with manslaughter was it because he didn't really have probable cause to stop the guy in the first place or what was the was that kind of the they did kind of hone in on that a little bit you know the prosecution did try to say that he didn't have any reason to stop him he was just walking down the street minding his business he didn't have any reason to stop him in the first place they did try to hone in on that um i think the conviction came from a lot of confusion. The jury was confused. They asked for help um, to, to understand the charges while they were in deliberation, um, and they threw in a lesser included, lesser included heat of passion manslaughter right at the end. And so I think the jury, out of confusion, didn't know what to do. They knew he didn't commit murder, which is the initial charge, um, and so. It would have been nice if it had been like a murder or nothing sort of deal because clearly he didn't murder the guy, which is what they were trying to charge him with. Um, and so I think as a kind of a fallback, one of the jurors was overheard saying, oh, he'll just lose his job. They thought it was going to be kind of a slap on the wrist sort of thing. So to kind of make both sides happy, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. I feel like the jury fell on a safe choice, what they thought was a safe choice. And then as a result, my husband is now went from officer to felon and is in prison. Right, so, so that's an interesting case because the that that issue is um, is fairly consistent with an, another Supreme Court case. I think it's Brown versus State of Texas, where a man was um, um, seen in a high crime area, and um, they thought he looked a little bit suspicious. They couldn't sus- they couldn't identify anything specific that he was sus- that, that, that they thought he had actually done, and. Um, course this guy didn't get killed he was just arrested and i think he took think they took the case all the way to the supreme court and they determined the officers were wrong for arresting him he had every right to 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 um go about his business without having to identify himself um so that's an interesting case i I just it would be interesting to know if that was kind of the the general thing but i tend to agree with you that it probably should have been either murder or nothing because if if the guy if the man the subject suspect was 
was every bit in the right to um as far as have every, having every right to um be to, there to, to every right to be there and not be harassed then then um then he had every right to defend himself as well generally speaking um so that's a it's an interesting case though all right so you got a situation here and i think this is where ashley is joining us today to talk about the two different ways that the legal system works in our country anymore you've got a guy that's cooling his heels in jail for 14 years and then you got a president's son that uh, is sitting still walking around and nothing is is happening to him at all do you have something anna that you want to bring in it's just even reading the court case and reading the details it it doesn't make very much sense just reading through it and trying to get an idea of how it was all going. Even just reading it is kind of confusing. Yeah. Yeah, and to hear that they had they did the 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 judge was he presented with this evidence that one of the jurors had said, "Well, he'll just get, you know, he'll just lose his job or whatever." Cuz I agree that that indicates that the jurors thought that the punishment was not going to be harsh. Right. Right. And we actually had that was kind of an after the fact sort of thing that happened. Um, and the um, the jurors, we actually had another member of the jury to come forward after Cody went back to prison in May of last year um, when they revoked his bond because the time was just taking too long and they felt like that's what they needed to do. It was a mess. But um, one of the jurors came forward after I started sharing um, on a large scale cody's story and what happened to him and how things had progressed and the juror came forward and said i just want you to know that i have felt like we made a wrong decision from the day we made the decision until now and he actually ended up going into law enforcement himself so like there is a drastic i feel like our nation has a really bad misunderstanding um and i try not to get too passionate about it because i understand that i'm a little partial but an officer stopping someone to talk to them while they're walking down the street in the middle of the night, there is nothing wrong with that. Proactive policing is not a bad thing. That situation did not turn bad until the person that he had stopped made a decision to shove him, and and it turned and bad. And start fighting, uh, fighting him at yes. that point. At the end of the day, Cody had discretion. He didn't have to charge that guy for the drug paraphernalia. He didn't have to take him to jail if he didn't want to. He's at his discretion to do that, and that guy didn't give him a chance because he decided to fight him instead. So this idea that our officers can't stop and talk to somebody because it's being harassed, they're being harassed, I think that's hogwash. I think well, that is absolutely insane narrative. So I think that's, that, that's, we can't, that question was actually addressed kind of in New York City. I remember Mayor Bloomberg was being kind of heckled and harassed or not harassed but but um kind of beaten up over the fact that they were doing that very thing is they were what they called proactive police and they would stop people without any kind of probable cause and they would frisk them which is a pretty serious constitutional violation of those people's rights and if there's not anything that you can specifically identify that is a that is illegal that the person is doing then you can stop and talk to them but you can't make them stop you can you can right. pol- you can politely walk walk up to them. You can talk to them. Well, but you you can't frisk them. And in them. the beginning, in the beginning, Gunn was compliant to that. Mm-hmm. You know, he was willing to talk and like, hey man, what are you out doing? He didn't get scared until he realized 
that Cody was about to find something that could get him put in jail. Right. But, uh, he got scared, right. and he decided to, you know, and at the point that he's sticking his hands in his pocket and acting shifty while they're talking, and Cody can't confirm anything in his pity pocket or whatever, mm-hmm. he has a right to protect himself and just do a quick frisk. So if and he that's, wasn't and that's being, kind of a question, though. There, go ahead. If he wasn't being combative or you know, aggressive toward gun and just saying, hey, man, for finding your safety, I'm just going to do a quick pat down. Gun knew at that moment. He didn't run at that moment. He let him frisk. But the second that he knew he felt that drug paraphernalia, he got scared. He shoved him and he ran. And that's when things turned. So to have this idea that Cody was the initial aggressor just because he stopped him, that's not true. If I stopped you, not in my law enforcement capacity, but if I stopped you walking down the street, I was like, hey, what you doing? No, not if, but, if you turn, you. but if you turn me yeah. around and start patting me down, that's where it becomes an issue. Right. right. I'm also right. not a law enforcement officer. So well, but but even, even a law enforcement is, officer. Well, but if I'm out and I'm a law enforcement officer and it's like 3 o'clock in the morning and the guy's acting nervous and, he, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm watching him put his hands in his, in his hoodie or whatever, I'm wondering what's inside his hoodie that he's reaching in to get. And there's there's reason to be nervous there, but and that's one of those things that just we just need to be very careful about um, of erring on the side of, of, of protecting people's rights. And it's I, and I think it's a, it's a messy issue sometimes. And I, I don't know all the details, obviously, in this case, but um, but I know that was a big problem in New York City. Yeah, but here's were, what's really messy: is that we got a police officer doing 14 years in prison, and, then, and we got the son of a president who's still walking around, got uh, you know slapped on the wrist, and we now we. We've got that form 1023, and we've got all a bunch of information that's out there, and everybody says, and then, you know, Lady Justice, you know, has Peek, a— Peeking under her blindfold. Yeah, peeks up, pulls a blindfold up and says, oh, it's uh, Hunter Biden, that's uh, the, the president's son. Well, we'll just slap him on the wrist, and nothing's going to happen to him, and I can understand exactly how this lady feels about that. And uh, we appreciate you being with us, and we appreciate you giving us the time. And uh, I'll let you go to get on with your life today. By the way, is there any uh, possibility of uh, your husband going back uh, and and another trial going on with this, with all the things that are coming out from uh, the uh, the jurors of that trial, of that first trial? Yes. So we are still currently in the appellate process. If you go to pipehitterfoundation.org, there's some better description of kind of where we're at and what our goal is um in getting him home and bringing justice to his situation so um you can go and your listeners can go to pipehitterfoundation.org and that kind of better explains the process where we're at and we are seeking a new trial yes okay i'll i'll follow this up and uh, we get down the road a little bit i'll give you another call and we'll get you back on and we appreciate your time I appreciate you. Y'all have a great day. All right. Bye-bye now. Ken Cuccinelli. Love having Ken Cuccinelli on. He's going to join us. He's the national chairman of the Election Transparency Initiative. We've talked about this uh, not many months ago with Ken here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And uh, he's going to join us today to explain how they're trying to secure and protect voting rights across the country. And, Ken, thanks for joining us again here on the Dave Ellswick Show. It's always good to be with you. It's fun to talk to you, Ken, because you really do keep right on the cusp of all of this stuff. I I was looking at some of the things that uh, you were able to discuss, and the first one got my attention. 
Texas begins withdrawal from multi-state partnership to clean voter rolls. A multi-state partnership? What's that all about? So that's the ERIC system and um, its explanation for existence is so states have a uh, database they can run their voters through to see if, say, Ken Cuccinelli has also registered in North Carolina ah, okay. in addition to Virginia, that kind of thing. Okay. So great idea, right? Except what's gradually become known is that it's got it. The people run it have leftward leanings and are allowing the data to be used for other things, all in favor of the left. So states like Texas are saying, well, we're not going to do that. They're pulling out. I would say this. One thing we need to happen is we need a what I'll call a pure replacement, one that just does the original state admission, and that is give states the ability to see when people register in other states so they can cancel them from their own voter rolls. Uh, otherwise, people can vote multiple times in multiple states. I mean, the bottom line is, Every state should be cleaning their voter rolls. I, I hear when yep. you start cleaning voter rolls, the left always comes out, oh, they're taking away people's ability to vote. No, we're just checking to make sure they can vote. So, so if I understand it correctly, at least in Arkansas here, those voter rolls are public information. And so couldn't a private company just compile this public information from all the different states and say, hey – of course. John Smith, who was born in, in April 3rd of 1973. No, wait, Ken's laughing. That tells you he, he's, under, <laughs> he's understanding and agreeing with what you're saying. Right. Go ahead, Ken. No, no, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I will say a mistake that even our friends make is they say, oh, we're going to audit this. So we're going to have the government audit the government. Mm -hmm. why, why are we trapped in these government solutions? I mean, if you want to sell something on Amazon, you don't go ask the government if you're who you say you are. They run you through like 100 private databases, mm. and they come back with an answer with 99.9% .9 accuracy. Well, why the heck don't we do that? And then, we, and, then we, that? And, and then on Amazon, we have this rating system to see if the product's any good. And government doesn't come <laughs> along and tell me that this... Um, I don't know, this pasta fork is, is a good pasta fork. I, I look at the reviews and say, all these people say this was a great pasta fork, and so I buy it. You know who does that? Consumer Reports. I mean, <laughs> come on, that's a private company, too. They, they, they right. do that. Any, any questions that you had for Ken about this? Well, voting? Well, go ahead. Let me butt in. All so right. you, you made a comment, and I want to drive it home. All right. Every single state has challenges keeping its voter rolls clean. Yes, they do. And none of them are doing it well enough. None of them. Doesn't mean some aren't doing it reasonably well, but this is, a, this is an area where we need to start incorporating, you know, the kind of private solution I just described. And that doesn't mean you let those databases make the decision, but you deliver it to your registrar or your clerk. It's called different things in different states. And, and here's the information. Can, all this info says Ken Cuccinelli moved to North Carolina. So then you're, you obligate them to go knock on my door, to call me up, to ask, et cetera, and to confirm it. The left doesn't like clean voter rolls because confusion is to their advantage. One, you can hide fraud and confusion. And two, 
they have a litigation machine that is much bigger than ours, and they believe anytime things get messy, they have an advantage, and history would suggest they're right about that. Yeah, we, so we are closing that gap. Yeah, we talked about this the last time that you were on, that when elections come around, the, the Democrats have all kinds of lawyers at their disposal ready to jump on a plane immediately to go to any place where they think that, uh, you know, the, the voting rolls are not to their liking. Yeah. 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 I mean, they spend well, a lot of money on it. Thorough cleaning it. Yes, they spend a ton more than we do. This started with George Soros and a few other billionaires 19 years ago in 2004. They've been working this for 19 years. We've been working it for three. Mm-hmm. Well, and and so, I, I think the Democrats have relied upon the um, cheating. The ju- the ju- well, yeah, well, they have. Well, they've, they've relied upon the judicial branch to get things done for them that couldn't be done through the legislative branch. And I think that's ma- that's maybe some of the um, panic that we see that we're seeing right now is that Republicans are actually kind of catching on there and actually putting a little more attention on the um, judicial branch. Yeah, jump in there, Ken. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I I give you an example. So you remember the Norm Coleman Al Franken Senate race? That was one decided by a Soros-funded Secretary of State who literally just changed the law. Wow. Get Al Franken to be the senator there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it worked. They stole that election administratively. Yeah, they were able. They were able. No, they changed. They changed. He changed the law. So it's administrative law. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what he did. Wow. Talk a little bit about the uh, Freedom to Vote Act because here's what the left want, wants to do. They want to take all of the rights of the states away from them dealing with voting and give it to the federal government. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so this is not new. And by the way, this whole concept existed before 2020. Of course, with Donald Trump, they like to hang everything on Donald Trump. Oh, he's a threat to this or that. This bill, in virtually the exact same form, was introduced in 2019 by John Sarbanes, the Democrat congressman in Maryland. And, um, you know, this has been a goal of the radical left for years, and that is a national takeover of elections, so they can screw them all up to their advantage centrally and not have to rely on states. Um, and, and they believe they'll make headway in places like Texas and Arkansas and so forth by doing this that they can't otherwise make. Yeah, and, and, and look, look let's, let's understand that if the federal government, the federal government running our elections is is the foxes guarding the, hen house. guarding the hen house. That's exactly what it is. It's just, it's just asking for totalitarianism, isn't it not, Ken? Well, and with the competency of the U.S. Postal Service. Oh. You know? <laughs> oh, yes. You know, you know don't, don't forget that part. Yeah. Um, at least folks who are local are, are, are considerably more accountable. That doesn't mean we don't have problems. We do. I will say, you know, we're talking negatively here, but in the last three years, we've seen a lot of improvement across the country in our election systems. Michigan comes to mind as a state that's gone backwards. They essentially implemented a state-level version of this Washington, every left-wing thing bill. Um, but since 2020, in, in swing states, Arizona, Wisconsin, 
parts of Texas are still, you know, you think of Texas as a red state, but the, the blues are after it. Uh, Georgia, Iowa, uh, Pennsylvania, um, we've made real progress on the election law front. And um, so things are better today than they were heading into the 2020 election. And one of the most important things is we're all aware of it. Um, it's a whole lot harder to cheat when everybody's paying attention. It just is. I can tell you as a former attorney general. Okay, so what are we supposed to do? Are, this is something that I've talked about with my listeners for a while now, and that is, for instance, mail-in ba- ballots. I've been reading more and more uh, information about this saying, well, what we need to do on our side, on the conservative side, is to embrace mail-in ballots and uh, and, and make sure that we're in it. As far as uh, you know, early voting, we need to embrace early voting, and we need you know. It sounds like what we need to do is become Democrats, but just do it legal <laughs> or something. You know what I'm saying? I, am I wrong in the way that I'm feeling here? Well, and I think also just yes. sorry to interrupt, sure. but just frustration <laughs> from. Um, voters leads to that you know they want a way to help and a way to change and I think that comes out in you know maybe let's become like them so also just how can we get involved and help ensure that this isn't going to happen from that standpoint without becoming like them all right so Ken we just handed the football to you yeah two thoughts on that one um, they the other side doesn't have principles (laughs) <laughs> this is all about how they perceive um, their ability to achieve better outcomes. And if they, so if you want to get rid of early voting, beat them at early voting, and they will happily join you to get rid of early voting. They will discover <laughs> problems they never before knew early voting had. And and we can beat them at this. I did it locally when I was running for state senate in Virginia in a district about a third the size of a congressional district. So there's no rule that says Democrats have to win this stuff. So that's one. Um, And then two is I was so fired up about one, I forgot number two, actually. So I I say we've got to beat them at this stuff. You beat them at their own game. Oh, that was number two. You asked, Dave, what can we do? So Virginia is a good example of this. In 2021, with very Democrat laws, because the Dems took over for two years and made like 60 election law changes, instead of being able to change the law, about 4,000 Virginians on their own stepped forward, got themselves trained as election officials, and went inside, and they were the ones who ran the poll books. They counted the ballots, and everybody listening to the four of us can do this, where you live. You can help secure your own elections by getting in there and running them. For whatever reason, the Democrats have had much better success over the years in recruiting election workers, election workers, not poll watchers with the campaigns, but election workers to go inside and actually run the thing. We need our people to go inside and run it. And look, you don't have to work in the clerk's office year-round. You just go work at elections. You get trained on it. There's the Election Integrity Network. There's a whole group of folks who will train you in addition to your local clerk, and you'll be paid a little bit of money. It isn't even volunteer work. 
Yeah. And so that's one of those things. Do, should we trust a group of people who think that people can change their gender and that it's okay to kill unborn children? <laughs> I mean, would you trust that person to, to not lie? No. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm no, with you. That's why I want my person sitting next to them at the poll book or at the, at the counting station. Or would you trust that person to follow the rules and not do what they think the rules should be when they're checking in people to vote, but actually stick to what the laws actually are on voting? Or, or like you said, not having well, principles. It's like, well, the principle here is to win the election, therefore the rules don't matter. Yeah, well, in 2020, we saw lots of examples. One of the problems of 2020 was officials not following their own laws. It wasn't that the laws were bad. But you think about Atlanta, Philadelphia, Detroit, where, where they weren't letting um, poll watchers, observers, observe the count, at least not meaningfully, sitting in the stadium while the count is going on on the floor in Michigan um, doesn't uh, serve the purpose of oversight and so forth. So the laws were on the books, but you don't pass laws to say follow the laws. <laughs> this is why... These things need to be litigated before the election. The Dems litigate before. We need to be litigating before. In fact, we are doing more of this on our side. I wish RNC was doing more. They're doing more than they've ever done before, but there's a lot more room for them to participate and be aggressive here. All right. For my listeners who uh, get involved in, in, in all of this, how? And, and my final question for you, Ken, how do we win at early voting? What are some things that we can do to win at early voting? Well, Virginia, we have an odd-year election this year, and um, our the whole team in Virginia is committed to outvoting the Dems in early voting. Um, it's a low-turnout year, historically, and so we're going to go try to get people to vote, and we can ballot harvest in Virginia legally. I don't like it. But as my only Glenn Youngkin quote is when he was running for, for governor, I don't like these rules, but these are the rules, and we need to win by these rules. And um, in Virginia, just by way of example, if we win this year and take over the Senate and hold the House, we can undo some of this sloppiness. Like, we have a 45-day election in Virginia. Wow. It's torture. Oh, it's outrageous. There's no defense of that. There's no defense of that. Even if you think early voting is helpful, 45 days is, doesn't make any sense, and we're wearing out all the clerks and volunteers. Well, why would you do that on the left? So that it's hard to watch. Mm. So that it's hard to provide citizen oversight. That's right. why you well, do one it. Of the, okay. Okay. So, Ken, let me finish up. So the best thing that we can do to be able to control these elections, basically, make sure they're on the up and up, is to be involved in the electorate process. All right. This is just part of our citizenship duty. And, you know, 4,000 people did it in Virginia in one year, and we've continued recruiting. You've got thousands in your state that will do it, too. And uh, don't assume just because you're a red state now means they're not after you. I will say this for the left. They, they literally don't write off any place. And I agree with that. I, I wholeheartedly. Okay, for folks that want to know more about your organization, where can they go to, for, to find out about it? electiontransparency.org okay election transparency initiative that i lead you can also look up the election integrity network um in uh for for trainings uh, they do them all around the country 
but if you connect with us as Election Transparency Initiative, we'll also connect you to those. And for those who are on the Freebird Twitter, now that Elon bought it, I'm at Ken Cuccinelli, just at Ken Cuccinelli. All right, we'll, we'll, che- we'll check it out. By the way, it's not going to be a bird anymore. It's going to be an X. Yeah, I don't quite get that, but whatever. I'm not a billionaire. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I'm not even... I'm not even a hundred thousand guy, man. What can I say? Yeah. <laughs> All, right. With you. All right. Thank you, Ken. You have a great day, brother. Talk to you later. Ken Cuccinelli here on the uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.